Hello and welcome to Anxiety Slayer. I'm your host, Shan Vanderleek, and this episode is brought to you by the Anxiety Slayer Academy. Visit anxietyslayer.com to download our free Anxiety Slayer starter course. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing you to Mark Lesser. Mark is a CEO and Zen teacher who leads mindfulness and emotional intelligence programs at many of the world's leading businesses. He also offers trainings and talks worldwide. Hello, Mark. Welcome to Anxiety Slayer. Hello, Shan. It's really a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you here today. Let's begin our conversation by talking about the origin and inspiration for writing seven practices of a mindful leader. I'm also very intrigued by your tagline, lessons from Google <laughs> in the monastery kitchen. Yeah, well, that's, that's been my life. Those, uh, much of my life has been integrating what looks like those two different worlds, the, the mindfulness and contemplative practices world and the world of corporations and especially uh, Google. Very briefly, I took a one-year leave of absence from university. I, went to, I was on the East Coast in Rutgers and went to the West Coast. And that, that 10 year, 10 years turned into, I'm sorry, that one year turned into 10 years at the living at the San Francisco Zen Center. As you might imagine, my parents, not too thrilled about that. As a parent, I get it. I get it now in a way I didn't at the time. Yeah, right. <laughs> Those were really uh, kind of formative and life, life-changing years for me both in the, in the realm of my own, you know, my own sense of myself and having a, you know, kind of developing and implementing a, a very deep daily meditation practice and living in community. Things that really surprised me were the world of work and the world of leadership. And for some reason, uh, during those years, I kept getting asked to take on uh, leadership roles and more and more responsibility from from running a Zen monastery kitchen, which is where the subtitle of, of my book comes from. And, and my 10th year at the Zen Center, I was the director of a, a monastery that also turns into a resort and conference center, a place called uh, Tassajara in the mountains in Central California. In those two roles, running the kitchen and being director, I, I had this strong sense of that suddenly I, I was a leader and I was being asked to take on these roles of you know, leading a kitchen and then leading this monastery and conference center. And it, it really grabbed me how these practices of you know, attention training and mindfulness and studying the self and going beyond the self, they just seemed so, they made so much sense to me in terms of leadership and in right. terms of work. And I wondered, you know, why isn't everybody doing this? And and it set me off on a path, and I went to business school. I started a publishing company that I ran for 15 years, and, and shortly after that, I uh, found myself inside of Google developing a mindfulness and emotional intelligence program. So that's, that's kind of, you know, in a, a yeah. nutshell, that, how that happened. Well, it's a, really a fascinating journey, for sure. And as I was reading and, and, and listening to you so often, and even from my own experience in, in corporate America, uh, which ended in 2006, I remember thinking, why aren't more of our leaders doing this work? Why aren't they understanding how important it is to their, 
just to daily life and functioning and stress levels and all that comes with being a leader. Mm -hmm. uh, imagine uh, how much more fruitful you can be when you're taking that time to be mindful and to be still and to not always be driving for the bottom line and mm -hmm. uh, all of the things that come with that. You, you know, it's funny. I think, I think it's been happening for the past 30 or so years, but it's been hidden. Yes. There's been this, there's been the perception that you can't, it's, 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 you know, it's been even labeled. It's the woo woo world. You know, there's right. a woo, the woo, it's like new age or woo woo or, and it, it reminds me, you know, when a, a story I tell is when I was, we were trying to see if we could bring this work, this work of mindfulness and emotional intelligence into a, a major corporation, a SAP, which is a, a German-based company. Uh, they're actually based in, uh, based in Germany. They have 100,000 plus employees, very conservative. And we, we started approaching a variety of leaders from SAP. And every one of them said the same thing. I'm ready for this kind of work but the company, the company is not ready. And right. we went to, you know, one person after another, after another said the same, the same thing. We realized is that they were ready, but they all had the perception that other people and that the company wasn't, wasn't ready. And that's still, I still find that today, that's a really, really common response that we get about this work. There's still, there's still that, that issue. Yeah, I bet. Thank goodness you're doing it. And, you know, one business at a time, one person at a time. Yeah, yeah, it really, it's interesting. What we found is that in order to bring this work into a company, there needs to be what we call a, a strong internal champion. A mm -hmm. one, one person, one person, like that's what happened in, you know, in this 100,000 person company of SAP, there was one engineer who was really determined to bring this work in. And now, there have been, I think, more than seven or 8,000 people in this company have taken mindfulness and emotional intelligence training. And there's a waiting list of another four or 5,000 people who want, who want to take it. Oh, that's fantastic. Let's talk about how your book can support our listeners who, who struggle with anxiety and, and many who are in the professional world and are leaders. And, and even though we don't talk about business much at Anxiety Slayer. I thought this was a perfect opportunity to open that door because just because you struggle with anxiety or post-traumatic stress or, you know, name the label, right? Doesn't mean that you can't be functioning in the world as a highly functioning leader. It's just, there's going to be some other things that come up that need to be addressed and worked through in, in the best way possible. Yeah. In fact, it's probably one of the most, you know, common experiences in in our world is that for the most part you know people work you know we all we all work and even even if for some reason we, people have <laughs> i've noticed that um a lot of my some of my friends are starting to retire and that's that's its own job you know it's its own work so we all we all work and we all experience anxiety and as you know and i think especially uh, the world of work and startups and leadership it's part of daily life and i I've been in the startup world. Uh, I've started four different companies now, and I know you've, you've probably that's probably you've probably started more than that, Shan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And I've found that these practices, I don't, I don't know that I could have done it without having these practices. Now, I'm not saying that, you, that everyone needs to, you don't need to go to a monastery, but I think there's something really useful about having some foundational meditation practice, mindfulness practice as an as a incredibly useful support to the world of work in general, no matter what. It is stressful. We, we take it for granted, you know, that um, the combination, I think it's a, it's a really interesting combination and there's just natural tendency between uh, getting stuff done and taking care of people. Right. There's, ten, there's just tension there. Oh, without question. You recommend a, a dedicated mindfulness practice. And for, for our listeners who don't have one, where can they begin? What, what would be the simplest first step? Yeah, the first step is like in most things is just to start. <laughs> is and and I often recommend two things. One, starting starting with something that is very doable. That might mean that might mean sitting quietly by yourself for a minute every morning. Just taking a minute. To, everyone can find a minute or three minutes to to have just a little bit of time where. All you're doing is noticing your breath, noticing your body, touching into your feelings, touching into your heart just quickly without needing to accomplish anything, without any agenda, just having that kind of sacred space, nothing lacking. I mean, and then little by little building up. And also I, 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 I more and more, um, I've, I've come out to say that meditation practice was never meant to be an individual sport. It, it's a it's a group sport, and these days there are groups everywhere, even in even in small towns. So, if possible, I recommend find a group of people to sit with once a week or once a month. If that's impossible, then find someone virtually. Do, you know, we're joined. There's there's actually some interesting apps now that you can sit with other with other people. But there's something I think that really helpful and profound about both uh, starting small and sit and sit with others. That's my, that's my recommendation. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. Before we started our conversation today, you mentioned that you might want to share a story about the Dalai Lama and, and anxiety. Yeah. I I think um, what I like about this story is that people think of the Dalai Lama or, you know, spiritual teachers as being, being beyond, you know, being beyond the, these kind of worldly difficult feelings, but, but not at all. It just comes with being a human being. Just briefly, the story was, uh, the Dalai Lama was uh, sitting on his chair in front of, a, of an audience of about 3,000 people uh, getting ready to give a talk. And before he starts, he had, there's several of his assistants are, you can see they're all kind of looking around the, the stage and move, there's a lot of movement as though something's missing. They're trying to find something and no one quite knows what's, what's happening, but this is, this is kind of going on for some, for some time. And after several minutes, someone hands, one of, one of his assistants hands the Dalai Lama something and it happens to be his glasses. <laughs> and and he, he very slowly pulls his glasses, you know, out of his case opens them up and holds them in front of the audience and says, anxiety. <laughs> and that, that, he, that he was feeling anxious 
because he needed his glasses in sure. order to in order to read the papers that that he had in, in front of him. So I, I thought this was such a beautiful teaching that the Dalai Lama is feeling anxiety and was in no way you know ashamed or there was not no sense of wanting to hide it. In fact, he was able to use it as a teaching. Right. Uh, so I thought that was a beautiful thing, and I would say that's one of. I mean, this is maybe maybe the most obvious and simple practice that I find I do a lot in my in my own life is just labeling when I'm feeling ang- anxious, uh, just to say anxiety. And I sometimes picture the Dalai Lama when when I do that. That is so awesome. I love I love that so much. <laughs> really, I mean, and think about how supportive it is just to picture the Dalai Lama anyway. Picturing the Dalai Lama is actually a great practice, which I, I sometimes will do, especially when I'm most anxious, right? When I'm about to give a talk or, mm-hmm. or, or get, get up in front, I will, I will kind of picture the kind of Dalai Lama's energy, including the energy of anxiety, like to, include, to, not, to not have that kind of outside, not, to not sort of push it away, but to say, here's what's happening right now. It's, here's, you know, I'm, I'm a human being. This is in the this is part of what it is to be human, and in fact, you know, it's one of the things that um, I, I find myself training people now to give talks and and to be in leadership roles. And I, I'm often instructing people that to use to use that energy, that energy of being nervous, being anxious, feeling feeling a sense of stress. That this can be transformed into very kind of positive positive energy, even though. No one wants to feel it, right? We, no. we, we all, who wants to feel that? I, I don't, no one does. But I think it's interesting, the, um, the, attitude, the attitude about it is so crucial. It really is. I, years ago, I worked with a, a speaking coach. I used to do a lot more public speaking than I do now. And she was always talking to us about turning that anxiety into excitement and, yeah. and trying to, while we understand that there's going to be a part of us that that feels that anxiety of course but to remind yourself how exciting it is that you get to share this message whatever it is that you get to share this expertise that you've taken this time mm-hmm. to put something together to be of service mm-hmm. and to remember it, turn it about that way and and i totally. thought that's, yep. that's a great way to think about it totally totally and then I'm sh- I, I somehow imagine you're familiar with, there's a, a study that was done a few years ago about that there were three groups, right? There's the group that had high stress and, and a group that had uh, very little, little stress in their life. And the, the measurements were, were about how people related. There were the people who thought that stress was a bad thing and tried to push it away. And those that had the attitude that you were describing, which is kind of a, you know, hey, this is bring, kind of bring, bring it on. And, and this was one of those longitudinal studies. And, and it turned out that people who have high stress but have a bring it on attitude actually live longer than people who either the groups that try to kind of push stress away and even live longer than the low stress groups, which I thought was really, really interesting. Hmm, I wonder why that is. That, well, the, I, I, think cause I think just what you're saying is that it actually it actually, in a way, makes us stronger. That, if we, that's if, true. If it makes us stronger if we, for the most part, there's no avoiding it. There's no avoiding 
stress and anxiety. And then the question is, can we lean into it the way that you're uh, expressing? And then, you know, and sometimes we can't. And then it's like not beating ourselves up for when we, when we right. just can't. That, that's the other part of it, I think, which is easier said than done. I get it. Yeah, I was, it just made me think of watching, um, Brene Brown just came out with a Netflix special. And the way that she started it out just was such a human connection, such a, you know, one of the things I love about her is just the way she relates as a person to, to you and how she just said, you know, she's an introvert and she wasn't really sure if she was going to come out on the stage five minutes before or not, you know, just and and really that energy and then that knowing that she's going to she is going to push through it and she is going to show up and she's just going to be herself yeah. unapologetically yeah and yeah. the more she shows up the more we show up the more you teach and show up the the easier it is it doesn't mean that we're not going to have those butterflies or have that discomfort you know even for some of our listeners who uh, lead uh, weekly meetings sometimes are, are struggling with anxiety and wanting to do the right thing and, you know, totally. wanting their bosses to be happy with what they're doing and not wanting to make a mistake and all of that stuff. We, man, the expectations we sometimes have versus showing up, yeah. showing up, preparing, yeah. Yeah. showing up. Yeah. Well, this is, this is the beautiful thing I think about as you kind of started this conversation about the opportunities for bringing this kind of work, for bringing mindfulness into the workplace. Yeah. Because there's so many opportunities like in a, in a meeting and, and, and then to be able to create safe, how do you create safe, supportive places? You know, to see that, that work, you know, there's a whole spectrum of, um, on one, the spectrum in work is on one side. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm fond of saying that at work, if you're not building trust, you are building cynicism. That cynicism is the default place in the workplace. And this is just- It's beca- true. Because um, most people are, you know, so many leaders are not aligned in their own bodies and minds. So they, they say one thing about what their intention is, but anybody looking at them knows that they don't mean it. They don't, they're, they're, they're just saying it. There's a kind of u- using of people as yeah. opposed to really, you know, in, a, in an aligned, heartfelt, caring way to actually be able to care, be able to be intimate with, with other people and to be able to see people outside of their roles and to yes. see that, that they're human beings. Now, this is where there's tension in the workplace because you also are in a role and right. you're in a role and you're not in a role. And it takes, it takes some real, this is why I think mindfulness practice is so potent in, in the workplace because this practice that I was describing earlier about you know, whether it's one minute or three minutes of just for yourself creating a sense of safety, a sense where there's nothing lacking. And, and also in, in a way, meditation practice, I think it, it is kind of cultivating with every breath what I think of as the three basic human needs, right? The need for safety, satisfaction, and connection. Mm-hmm. And then bringing that into a meeting uh, in the workplace, yeah. you know, so that when you, when you ask people to introduce themselves or ask people to report on what's happening in their, in their particular workplace area, 
imagine being able to at least aspire to speak from that place of being safe, yeah. being satisfied, and being connected. Oh my gosh, that makes me, that's just like a flashback to boardroom meetings many, many moons ago and, uh, and being in an environment where often uh, there was one unlucky manager that would be picked on for whatever came out of their mouth with all of the sharks circling. (laughs) (laughs) And I just remember thinking at at that time, uh, I really could have cared less because I was just going to speak the truth as, as how I saw the truth and, and, and let the chips fall where they may. And I didn't really get picked on very often. I think uh, because I just, for whatever reason, just didn't go there, but I would watch and just be like, Oh my goodness, you know, just a, what's going to happen next. And, and there was just so much insecurity and there was so much posturing and there was just finally uh, my own mindfulness training and yoga training. And I had to leave that place. <laughs> I had to, but, yeah. but you just, there's just so many layers of things going on. And, mm-hmm. and so to know that there are people like you that are going in and that there are companies who want to change and who have been changing and evolving and, and even this company that I'm referring to has changed and evolved a great deal mm-hmm. since then. It's, it's just fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In chapter four of the book, you talk about the importance of connecting to our pain. And I guess I'd like to know a little bit more about how this connection can help our leaders quell anxiety for themselves and in the workplace. I think it's part of you know, what, what I was talking about earlier, this sense of cultivating the sense of safety, satisfaction, and connection that maybe the the connecting thread of all of that in a certain way is to not push away pain, to not push away what's difficult. And this whole realm of pain can talk about on many levels, right? There's the, there's, there's the day to day, you know, of things going not the way we want them to, you know, we, we don't get what we want and we get what we don't want. This is just part of the, part of the human, human experience. You know, but then a little bit deeper than that, there's the, there's the pain of our feelings and feeling like every, things aren't quite right or not belonging. And then beneath that, there's, you know, there's knowing that we have to deal with change and that we are getting every breath, we're getting older. Mm. And, that, and that if we're lucky, we'll get to deal with old age and sickness. And then there's death, the, 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 the knowing that uh, we will lose everything and everyone. And like, so that's just part of the, part of the human condition. And, and, and to be able to find a sense of freedom and even a sense of working with like a sense of urgency, like using, using, using pain as a transformative tool. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, it's, 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 it's not always pretty. We're not always, it's not always going to be that way, but to have that, to have that aspiration and to have that practice. And sure. I, uh, I talk about in the book, my, um, uh, I happen to have a couple of dinners with um, uh, Bill George, who is an author and coaches a lot of fortune 500 CEOs. And I was surprised when he mentioned to me that the key 
the key breakthroughs that leaders need to have is to really feel their own pain, uh, to feel it and to feel it deeply. That as long as you're, as long as you're kind of pushing it away, it's. I think it's hard. It makes it hard to feel your deep sense of the the common humanity that you have with people, mm-hmm. and also this. I really love this word um, concept of alignment. That how how we as a leader. And again, I, when I use the word leader, we're all leaders. Leaders yeah. basically basically means influence. Sure. And 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 working toward this sense of being aligned in our in our bodies and minds and feelings. And I think in order to do that, we need to access the the just the the pain the pain of being human. And it's interesting how you know in the um, the Buddhist teaching you know from twenty five hundred years ago. The very first, the very first teaching that the historical Buddha gave, the, the first noble truth is that there's no avoiding pain. There's right. no there's no avoiding suffering, and and it's interesting the the word that that's translated as suffering or pain, uh, which is the word dukkha, literally means like a wheel that's slightly out of alignment, a wheel that isn't completely round. Yeah. And I love that image because that's how we all, you know, I, I feel that. We, I think we all feel that way. That's, what, that's a, sure. a, a kind of an image that is useful. Uh, and then though the, other, you know, the other teachings are that there is a cause to this pain. And, that, um, and, and the beautiful teaching of, of Buddhist practice is, you know, the third noble truth is that we can find our own freedom right in the midst of pain and difficulty and that yes. it's through through entering and transforming pain that that's where our satisfaction and freedom lies i had a uh, a moment recently where i felt that for a moment <laughs> and uh, and it was such a gift because i was really uh struggling with uh, my father passed away at the end of 2015 and it was the first, my first parent to, to pass on. And, um, and so I didn't really know uh, what this grieving thing was Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, um, and how I was going to handle it. And, uh, and I, and I stepped forward and, and did the, the things that you do to be responsible to take care of business, right? Because he would have really enjoyed that. And, and he, mm-hmm. he was so organized, Mark. He was so, like, he left everything so neat and orderly and ready uh, so that there wouldn't be any horsing around for me. Like, it was just amazing, frankly, how, how much he had thought about leaving things as, as cleanly as he could. But anyway, here came that very first, very first eye-opening, this isn't going to last forever. Mm-hmm. This, mm-hmm. this, what, how will I use my time now? Because until now, <laughs> I just really hadn't given it much thought. Mm-hmm. And that might sound naive, that might mm-hmm. sound, you know, it's, it's okay, it can sound however it sounds, but... <laughs> But from that moment, everything, there is so much more reverence 
every day now for my, for, you know, for the choices that I'm making and the way that I'm relating and showing up because I finally get it and have that moment of, okay, this feeling is absolutely where it, where it needs to be. But now what, and how can you use this to, to show up in a more loving way, in a more meaningful way, to be more present, to take time with the people that you love and really be there, not doing four other things and being there. But anyway, yeah, I, I could no. ramble, but I did. I had this moment. I did. I had this moment of, oh, for this moment that that made sense to me. There was this this lovely flash. <laughs> and so I was very grateful for that. Yeah, no, thank you. That's a beautiful story. And uh, as you were describing it, Shan, it also made me think about, you know, I've, I've done uh, many, you know, long, long retreats or, you know, like, like seven day sittings. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that sense that that kind of aha moment. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that happens um, it, it is, anyhow, I, just, I also wanted just to say there is something very profound about grief. And, and isn't it amazing, these, these uh, feelings and emotions that we have that are somehow, you know, evolu- that evolution over millions of years, this feeling of grief and how, uh, how important and powerful it is. Yeah. And it's, it's similar. It's a little slight, I, going back to, I was just talking about, you know, when you sit for several days, you, you reach, a, you know, it's interesting. What happens, I think, very common is right away, uh, you know, you start questioning, why did, I, why did I do this? Like, I want to get me, get me out of here. This is, it's so nice out, or there's other, so many other things I could be doing. But little by little, there's a kind of acceptance, even though it can be painful. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, your knees can hurt and your back can hurt and you're like lonely. And, uh, but at some point you start to get sick of yourself. This yeah. all, all of the, all of the, the noise and, and that, that sense of you start to see the gap between what is, what your situation actually is and the way that you want it to be yeah. and, and how, how much that causes pain and anxiety and that and that and the that feeling of when when you can let go of that gap it's just it's just knees hurting it's just back hurting and it's like oh it's it's i feel this actually feels pretty good i'm pretty happy with this right now as long as i'm not kind of wanting it to be different or pushing it away right right in the, in the last chapter of Seven Practices of a Mindful Leader, you talk about keep making it simpler. <laughs> How does simplification bring about mindfulness? Yeah, I think, um, well, first recognizing, right, it's the seventh practice and, and um, maybe, maybe the hardest, especially today, uh, that there's such a movement toward complexity in, in our world. Um, but I think in some way, uh, you know, meditation practice, mindfulness meditation practice, in a way, is the, it's the practice of simplicity. It's the practice of cultivating 
this, this ability to just be alive, to just appreciate the breath and body and feelings and heart, just without, without needing to do anything, without cultivating what is it like to not do anything extra? What is it like to just be alive? And it was a little bit like I felt like you were just saying that you experienced that experience you had. There's something, there's something profound about that kind of dropping in to simplicity, to just, mm. to just, to not, to not be, um, you know, the image that I'm reminded of. Um, one day, when I, in one of my startups, someone came to me and said, and said, and was kind of complaining. They said we were. We have a lot of balls in the air here, and they were kind of freaking out about how many how many different things we were we were trying to do, and and in that moment, I, I looked at I looked at him and said, you know, let's change the image. Uh, instead of having a lot of balls in the air that were you know that that image is really stressful. I said, why don't we change the image to we're planting a lot of seeds right now. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, just, just shifting the image uh, was, there's something grounding, simple sure. and grounding, <laughs> planting seeds, planting yeah. we're, we're doing that, we're doing that one at a time and we're watering the seeds and we're watching and nurturing and seeing which, which grows. It's so different than, you know, running around trying to juggle all these balls sure, and sure. getting freaked out when one hits the ground. Like, and yet, and yet. You know, so I think I think in some way um, there's something uh, important and profound about even the aspiration, even these days, even the aspiration to uh, cultivate simplicity. Mm-hmm. Simplicity, simplicity has a bad rap. You know, it's a little bit like um, you know we live in a culture where the religion is busyness. The religion yeah. is is that we 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 brag about all the all the balls we have in the air. Oh man, I'll tell you, I'm, uh, I remember that. I remember that. And I'm so incredibly grateful to not be there anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. Right, right. Oh, to be able to just focus on one thing. And it's yes. hard. I, have to, I, 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 was, I was slightly embarrassed, uh, Shan, when, when you first came on and you asked me about my new book. And, and I immediately thought, Oh, how does she know I'm writing another book? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Actually, I, I'm I'm kind of uh, I'm sort of excited. I'm writing. I'm writing. I just, you know, in, in some way, it's actually a grounding practice. I, I like having a book project. I like sure. I like having something that I'm unpacking and, and uncovering, and it's and it's always, of course, uh, starts with what I most need. What what I most need to to learn, and I'm so I'm writing. I'm writing a book about power right now, which is all, well, you can do that interview. Probably it'll, who knows? It might be two years. It might all be right. five, or five or 10 years. Sometimes some, I'm surprised often at the gestation period for me of, of books. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to speed it up this time, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Oh, good for you. <laughs> well, I've enjoyed our conversation so much today, Mark. Thank you for coming on Anxiety Slayer. Thank you for writing this fantastic book. Uh, where can our listeners get in touch with you and order a copy of Seven Practices of a Mindful Leader? Well, they can get in touch with me, uh, Mark Lesser, and that's M-A-R-C-L-E-S-S-E-R dot net. 
uh, and you can, you know, from there you can read about the book, um, and you you can get the book anywhere that you know books are okay. books are sold. I love supporting our local booksellers. Yes. Um, hopefully they have it. It's hit or miss, but it's worth trying. Sure. And they can they can order it, and any place the book is uh, widely available. Seven practices of a mindful leader. Fantastic. And is there anything any thought? Anything bubbling up that you'd like to leave us with today before we carry on? Oh, sure. Um, I've been carrying with me uh, this piece. It's a, it's a beautiful few lines from a poem. The poem is called The Word by the poet Tony Hoagland. Uh, and let's see if it's still, if it's in me right now. Let's see if I can pull it up. It's, it says, uh, uh, do you remember that time and light are kinds of love and love is as practical as a coffee grinder and a safe spare tire i love that do you <laughs> do you remember that time and light are kinds of love i i think it's That's um beautiful yeah it's just a beautiful couple lines and the whole poem is quite beautiful Oh, I'll be sure to look it up. Well, Mark, thank you so much. Such a pleasure to uh, share some time with you today. Thanks again. Thank you, Shan. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Anxiety Slayer. This episode is brought to you by the Anxiety Slayer First Responder Series, a supportive health anxiety course to help you feel better because worrying about your health can rob you of precious time and peace of mind. Learn more at anxietyslayer.com.